This is the front page podcast from the Red and Black. I'm Alex Antioch, bringing you this week's news and opinion coverage of how residents of Athens, Georgia have been affected by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As an editor's note, I am from Russia, and I've been given the opportunity to write an opinion article about the invasion for our website. As a result, in addition to our usual news coverage, the second half of this episode will contain the personal views of both myself and a guest opinion columnist of Ukrainian heritage. For our first segment, we'll be joined by campus news editor, Caitlin Farmer, to discuss her coverage of a pro-Ukraine rally that took place in downtown Athens on Monday, February 28th. Then, news desk contributor Kushi Kapadia will share her research on what members of the Athens community are doing to provide humanitarian aid for those affected by the crisis. Our final guest will be Sarah Martinov, an opinion guest columnist of both Russian and Ukrainian heritage, joining me for a conversation about Ukraine, Russia, and our families who still live there. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, To begin, could you tell us about why people in Athens are rallying to support Ukraine? Yeah, definitely. I think that for a lot of people, they are just basically appalled, I feel like is a good word to use for this, with what Putin has done and what Putin is continuing to do and the effect that it's having on Ukrainians, but also how it's impacting people in Russia too, just with, from what I've heard, like there's kind of a split amongst people in Russia on who thinks that what Putin's doing is right and it's, you know, good because that's what their leader's doing. And then the people who think that what, Putin is doing is wrong and they disagree with it and I think that that is definitely a big drive of why people are speaking out about this in Athens but I also when I was at the demonstration on Monday I also realized how many people in Athens are from Ukraine and or who have ties to Ukraine who have family or friends or There was someone there who was talking about how they had worked in Ukraine and that's where they met their wife and now they live in Athens with their family and their wife's mother was actually there at the demonstration and she had just come to the United States days ago from Ukraine and wasn't even sure if she was going to be able to get here because she had to be vaccinated in order to come and she wasn't sure if she would be able to get her vaccine in time. And I believe they said that she made it like two days before flights weren't coming anymore. And it just, I think for me, like really put things more into perspective because I've been reading all about this, but it's one thing to read about it. And then it's another to really like see people who actually are impacted by it. It was people from all over. I mean, there were people there who were Russian. There were people there who are Ukrainian. And 
just seeing everyone come together and all speak about wanting the same goal which is for all of this to stop it just was really impactful i guess that's the best word to use for it yeah no i completely get it um our guest later in the episode does have some of those personal ties and it was really harrowing to sort of like hear her secondhand account of what her relatives are experiencing so yeah yeah um but thank you um could you please uh you kind of already spoke to this but um could you describe the experience of covering the rally yeah i have never really done anything like this in terms of coverage so i didn't really know what to expect going into it and when i got there there were already a few people who had started to gather and after a few minutes more and more people started coming and they had signs and all of these things and they were wearing like ukrainian colors or they had the flag with them and just like seeing all of that and reading their signs and talking to them like it was kind of difficult i guess because i i didn't even know really like how to talk to them because i was talking to people who are personally impacted by this and who are affected by it and i know that i can't understand it from their perspective i can only try to understand it but i will I'm not personally as impacted by it as they are, so I will never be able to fully get it. Yeah, no, I feel like that's like simultaneously one of the most difficult, but also, I guess, rewarding parts of doing journalism. Like, I feel like no matter what the conflict is, whenever you're talking to activists who are out protesting or like rallying, I feel like it's really eye-opening to talk to the people who are like in the thick of it and can like really give you that insight yeah absolutely and i think that it just made me kind of i guess appreciate in general people gathering to stand together and to speak out for what they believe is right i guess journalism side of it i'd never really been there and i've never been there to talk to people and to ask them these questions and to ask them about their stories and why they were there and how it was impacting them. And so I think being able to talk to people on such a personal level about this made it more personal for me. Yeah. Um, kind of speaking to what you said earlier, um, I get the impression that there was just like a wide variety of people from different places. Like obviously there were people from Eastern Europe there, but there were also like Americans, especially like local community leaders and politicians like Mayor Kelly Gertz and Commissioner Mariah Parker. How has this conflict united people in Athens in support of a common cause? Yeah, I think that this is something really interesting that's kind of come of this because from what I've seen I feel like across the board regardless of what your political beliefs are 
a lot of people feel the same way that what's happening is wrong and that it shouldn't be happening and it shouldn't have started to begin with and I think that that is really interesting just because people have been really divided for a really long time and I feel like this is something that a lot of people can't really argue about except for I guess how like the United States is responding but I feel like other than that everyone kind of is in agreement that this is not right and so being able to be there and to see all of these people from all of these different backgrounds that were all there saying the same thing and that we're all there asking for peace and showing support to Ukrainians it was really it was really cool to see because I feel like in the last few years a lot of things have just been very like divisive and so just being able to see people come together is really it's really cool in general why is it significant when people in one country gather in response to an event in another i think it's significant because when people are able to see others gathering to speak out against something and stand up for what they believe in it encourages other people to do that as well who maybe weren't sure the best way to go about it or were afraid to I mean depending on what country they're in there could be legal repercussions for doing what we're able to go stand on the sidewalk and do in Athens and so I think that it's really encouraging to people and I think it shows people that you are allowed to have feelings about these things and you should be able to speak your mind about what you believe is wrong and by doing so you're holding the people in power who are the ones making these decisions accountable because our leaders are supposed to be making decisions for us and a lot of times we don't have a say in those decisions especially when it comes to things like war and all we really have is the ability in these situations to do something after the fact which is I think for me especially like it I've felt really helpless during all of this because I don't even know what I could do that would even begin to help and I think that after Monday I kind of realized that what I can do is talk about this and cover it and report on it Next, Kushikapedia will share her research about humanitarian aid efforts in Athens. Hi, Kushi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So um, 
I'm kind of curious. What are Athenians doing to help folks out given the ongoing crisis in Ukraine? Yeah, so there's a few things going on. Um, Some of the local businesses are contributing to various activities, whether it's giving food or housing um, or paying for travel expenses. I was able to speak with someone from Three Ravens, um, Carmen Mathney, and she was telling me about how they're uh, taking in um, refugee artists and they're letting them set up a little booth in the facility that they have and they can like get paid and get customers while they're also getting lodged as well in some of the homes provided by the employees of the tattoo parlor. That's really cool. Um, What other sort of aid efforts are happening right now? Yeah, so um, there's currently a local chef named Hugh Atkinson. So he's currently working in the World Central Kitchen as a chef to feed uh, refugees, whether it's in Ukraine or the neighboring countries as well. You also mentioned while we were talking off mic that UGA's chapter of Doctors Without Borders was also doing some stuff. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Um, So they're raising money for International Doctors Without Border to provide humanitarian aid for the refugees, whether it be like helping with wounds, food, shelter. And initially they started with vaccine inequity, but once Russia had attacked Ukraine and this whole tension began, they started raising money for the refugees to where they're now up to... I would say a little over $2,000 in aid. Our final guest is international affairs major and Ukrainian student Sarah Martinov, here to share her personal experiences with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Um, And I'm kind of curious, how are you doing? How has the last week been like? For starters, thank you for having me. Um, This past week has definitely been very chaotic. Um, I will say I have been very emotional and like stressed. Um, I've been watching the news 24-7 and I leave it on while I sleep, which means I only get like four hours of sleep a night. Uh, I have definitely skipped a few of my classes to watch the news. (laughs) So it's just been a mess. Um, I'm really worried about everything and my family and friends. Um, but I'm doing my best. So Yeah, that can't be easy, and I really appreciate you taking this time away to talk to us. Um, for starters, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your ties to Ukraine and Russia? Absolutely. So both of my parents came here from the Soviet Union, but my mom was born and raised in Kiev, and my dad was born and raised in Moscow. So I have ties to both Russia and Ukraine, Um, And I still have a lot of family friends that like my mom grew up with in Ukraine who I have met because they've come to visit so many times and they're still like best friends with my mom. And I still have some family in Russia, uh, such as like my second cousins and whatnot who have also been here to visit. So I do know everybody pretty well. Um, And I personally have not been there yet, but I do know people there. So. How is your family doing right now? My family in Russia, they are trying to stay afloat. Um, They're trying not to panic too much. Uh, They definitely are 
they were skeptical of Putin, and now they're definitely very against him. Um, so I've been in communication with them. They're just saying they're waiting for some real news that isn't controlled by state media. And so far, they're doing fine. They try and tell me not to worry. But I know that as the sanctions continue and over time, things are going to get worse. Um, as for my family friends in Ukraine, uh, luckily, the ones we were able to get in contact with were able to flee um, to either Poland or Hungary. But unfortunately, a lot of them have kids my age who are men um, who they had to leave behind at the border. And so these are guys who have never held a gun before in their lives, who are very like kind and cultured, um, and they don't know how to fight. So I'm really worried about them being drafted, but they are currently like still at the border um, as far away from the capital as possible. I'm really sorry to hear that that can't be easy to deal with. Are they still able to stay in touch with their families? Absolutely. Um, they all communicate through WhatsApp and text, and while like cell towers have been going down and whatnot, um, they have still been able to keep in communication. That That's good, at least. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that. sorry, that's... It's all right. It's a lot, but um, we're all handling it pretty okay. That's good. Um, how Do you know what the evacuation process has been like so far? Um, it definitely has been very hectic. Um, as of today, over one million refugees have been uh, accepted into the neighboring countries, and the UN is estimating that it could be upwards of seven million by the end of the conflict. Um, personally, when my family friend had to flee from Kiev, she was originally trying to get to Poland, and the lines were extremely long. It took her over a day just to get even like close to the border. Um, and then she decided to reroute to Hungary because she has friends there. And that drive took another day just to get to the border and then another day just to get across. So it definitely has been a very long process. People are fleeing by foot, people are fleeing by car, whatever they can, and they're taking things with them, just the essentials. So it has been very difficult. Yeah, um, kind of bringing up a point that you mentioned earlier, um, and um, regarding your relatives in Russia, uh, from my own personal experience and then attending um, a talk that Dr. Shapiro and Dr. Hosko did, um, th they're both professors who work with the Russian flagship program, and they did a panel about um, the conflict in Ukraine earlier this week. And they mentioned that, that the narrative that the mainstream news in Russia is pushing right now is very different from what we have been hearing in the States. As somebody who's been in touch with family in both countries, could you speak to the narrative that the Russian state-sponsored media is promoting and how it compares to what's actually happening on the ground in Ukraine? Uh, yes, absolutely. There definitely has been a lot of disinformation. Um, I have been trying to provide my family with the real news because even some of the articles I've written that I've tried to send to them, they can't open because the sites are blocked. Um, so I've been doing everything I can to like give them the real facts. Um, but I've been watching videos where these soldiers who are in Ukraine on the Russian side, they have been told that they were just going to be there for testing and for training. And none of these Russian soldiers knew they were coming into Ukraine for a war. And there are so many people who are scared and they're blaming Putin and they're like, we don't want to fight. We don't want to be hurting our neighbors, our friends who, um, 
we just want peace with these civilians, but it's not their choice anymore. Um, additionally, Putin has made it very clear that this is just a like just a military operation, a small thing. Um, the media there is not allowed to say it's a war or an invasion or an attack. Um, if anyone is caught doing that, they can be fined up to five million rubles. So it is definitely very difficult. Um, they've blocked most other media and even their independent media. Um, Putin is always saying like, these are people you can't trust because they're like agents. So he's trying to get people not to listen to independent media either. Yeah, I heard um, on the news that TV Rain, which was like the last independent mm -hmm. station in Russia was just shut down and um, it it's not easy. Um, yeah, um, kind of speaking to that and um, I'm struggling a little with how to phrase this question because it's a little sensitive. Um, when speaking to my relatives in Russia earlier today, they mentioned that um, one of Putin's major talking points for about why he is invading is to deal with the problem of neo-Nazis in Ukraine and that once they get rid of all the neo-Nazis, they will leave. And um, obviously, Ukraine has had an issue with alt-right militant groups in the past, but like their president right now uh, is Jewish. And um, as a Jewish person, I was wondering if you could speak to like these allegations um, and like your experience and opinions in that regard. Right. Um Definitely as a Jewish person who has been fighting and combating anti-Semitism online and in person for the past three years, um, hearing Putin call a Jewish leader a neo-Nazi definitely is anti-Semitic. There's nothing else you can call it. Um, but he's also been trying to call everyone in the government like drug addicts, which I have no idea where this is coming from. Uh, it's just his ploy to like continue with disinformation. Um, to try and get people on his side. Um, it's very difficult for me because Ukraine definitely has had a history of anti-Semitism and Zelensky has done his best to um, combat that by finding people, imprisoning people for anti-Semitic acts. Um, additionally, um, recently, like in this past day, uh, one of the Holocaust memorials was... Uh, there was an airstrike near there, and so a lot of the time people are saying, like, never again, but it's happening right now. Um, so that's as much as I can say in terms of anti-Semitism. President Zelensky isn't perfect. Um, there definitely has been a little bit of corruption going on in Ukraine, but definitely nothing on the scale of what Putin is doing. And as much as it's weird for me to think that Zelensky went from being an actor to a president. I absolutely respect what he's doing right now in defending his country and staying in Kiev when he knows his citizens can't leave. Um, but I'm definitely scared for him and his family as they were marked target number one. Um, I also think that Putin's not going to stop just after taking down the government. I think he's going to stay and continue and try and take over Ukraine. So his reasons are just bullshit, if I may say. <laughs> Is there anything that you'd like people who um, don't share your perspective, who are either American or from other parts of the world who are listening to this, to know about 
what you're going through, what Ukraine is going through, um, what Ukrainian Americans are going through, um, that kind of thing. Right. Um, for people who are on Putin's side, for starters, he's officially a war criminal. Um, he has broken so much international law. There's a humanitarian crisis going on. He's bombing civilians. This is not something I understand how someone can support. Um, however, for those who do, I want you to know that the Ukrainians are suffering, and this is a conflict that affects everyone, um, including people who don't live in America and people who do. And I just think that they need to reconsider where they stand and listen to some real information, because I don't know how anybody could support Putin. Um, additionally, those who do support Ukraine, uh, I highly encourage everyone to look at ways to help in terms of like donating to different organizations. Um, but there are so many ways that you can find online to help out right now. Continue to sp spread correct information. Go to rallies. Let your voices be heard. Finally, speaking to that, um, for those of us who are talking and listening to and about this from our relative comfort and safety in the United States, um, is there anything that you would recommend, any specific organizations to help out or support, or any sort of like any person or news outlet that is worth paying attention to right now? There's definitely tons of organizations. It really just depends on what you want uh, to help towards. There are people who are um, just trying to help the children in Ukraine. There's people who are taking donations for the military. There's people who are taking donations for humanitarian aid. Um, but if you go online and look up how can I help Ukraine, there's just so many different ones. And I would definitely research into that. Um, additionally, I personally have been watching the news just live on YouTube through either NBC um, or I've personally been watching French news, like France 1. It's in English, but they do a better job of covering things in Europe right now. Um, and in terms of reading the news, I've been keeping up with NBC live updates. Also, the Wall Street Journal has been really good with providing live updates. They crash sometimes, though, but when they don't, <laughs> they have literally everything, like every five minutes, there's something new going on. Yeah, uh, kind of speaking to that, just my personal go-to news source for um, events specifically in Russia is Medusa. Um, yeah, I guess supporting free press right now, I think, is really important, specifically in Russia, because um, Dr. Shapiro spoke to this um, during uh, the talk I mentioned earlier, and a lot, like a lot of people in Russia, like it's basically the big cities and then the country where people only have access to state-sponsored news, and um, a lot of people don't necessarily know what's going on. They just see like the ruble falling and think it's because the west hates them but like they just don't know what's going on so i think really trying to get you know open accurate information out there is really important agreed yeah i definitely agree with following medusa they don't have a lot of good articles also new york times is good there's just so much as long as you make sure it's credible and non-biased um, there's a lot of sources. Yeah. In the journalism department, they teach us that looking at the local stations that are reporting things like from the area they are covering, not like the larger state organizations, generally tend to give you um, more accurate coverage on the subject.
Definitely. Yeah. Not everyone has access to firsthand accounts as I have had. Um, so just do your best, but definitely keep up with it. Yeah, set your VPN and look at some local stations. Hopefully you'll find some good stuff. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate this. Um, is there anything else you want our listeners to know? I think we've covered most of the big topics. Um, I definitely just want people to know that I am here to support Ukraine and I know so many other people are and I really appreciate that. We're living in a very hard time right now, but hopefully things will be okay. And I hope that Ukraine somehow miraculously makes it out of this war and comes out stronger. This has been The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. You can find the stories discussed in this episode in the paper edition or on our website at redandblack.com. Make sure to download our app, keep up with us on social media, and check out our new health podcast, The Athens Frontline, hosted by health editor Simran Kaur Maholtra. We hope to see you next week.